No one will be admitted after the guests check in. It seems like things you've already showed me. This is just the highlight reel. <laughs> you wanted this. Oh, God. Turn it off. Wow, they really packed it in her mouth at the end there, huh? Welcome to my personal hell. I won't be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> oh, God. You'd be surprised because I read a lot about what poop tastes like today. Anyway, what was that you were just doing? Were, were you scatting? How long were you thinking about opening up the episode with, with scatting? Not I just thought of it. It just came <laughs> to me. It's impressive. Thank you. It's incredible. Went Jamaican there, but it's fine. Rude boy. Anyway. Scat boy. Welcome to Motel Hell. I'm Ben the Beardo. And I'm Dick the Fetty. I feel a little sick. Anyway. Um... That really threw me off. Uh, tonight we are covering Sexual Fetishes Part 2. And uh, if the intro wasn't a tip-off, talking about the scat, man. I'm going to warn you guys tonight. Uh, tonight's episode could be a, a bit rough. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, just strap in. Yeah. The strap in. Bring so your barf bag. You, yeah, you really want to have a barf bag, maybe a bottle of lotion, no pants on, like really get in the gooey mood. Yeah. Listen oh, to God. this without your uh, significant other. Now even like saying gooey mood <laughs> out loud is just... Yeah, more like movement, gooey uh, movement. Anyway, before we get to our topics... We watched a movie tonight, didn't we? We wa we wa <laughs> we we sure did. We do this for you. Swapped on AVI. Uh, no, we will get there. Uh, no, we watched female convict scorpion colon. <laughs> Give me that one. Jailhouse Forty One, also known as female prisoner scorpion colon Jailhouse Forty One. Directed by Shunya Ito, it is the second film in a series of four, three of which were directed by Shunya Ito, starring Meiko Kaiji, Kaji, Meiko Kaji, Meiko. That sounded Italian and not <laughs> Grazie, Meiko Kaji. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, Meiko, Meiko Kaji. Uh, so, yeah. The film was released on December 30th, 1972. That's the, the day before our Lord was born. And only four months after the first film. Really? It was that quick? Yeah, man. That was back in the studio era when they turned them out. No, oh, yeah, that's true. It's an exploitation film-ish kind of thing. No, it definitely it it is. is. It, it is. is. Maybe a little bit less than the first one, but... Yeah. 
So, for those who aren't familiar with the series, the music was used... So, the lead star, she also was a singer. The music was used in Kill Bill 1 and 2, and as well as one of her songs from Lady Snowblood. And Meiko Kaji, Kaji is famous for her roles in this, and Lady Snowblood, and woman blind woman's curse and also another film series oh cat house something or other she's a bad bitch yeah she's always a bad bitch and this movie picks up where the the first movie left off the first movie is like a classic women in prison film this is women escaping prison and things happen you want to you want to tell tell our audience more you something about the uh, all, all i can think is about swap.avi um i how do we even come upon the first one uh, Arrow released it. I had seen I had seen their uh, stuff for it, and I just heard about it here and there. But it was really like because Arrow had put out the big box set that I was like, this seems cool. And then I saw a picture of her with her full black outfit and her big hat yeah. with the droopy brim, and I thought this looks awesome. So we we watched the first one a couple months ago, and I was really, really blown away. It had boobs in it. It had violence in it. Two things I enjoy in movies. Yeah. The lead, the lead chick is super hot and super awesome. The acting was great. The music was fun. And on top of it, there are these like weird little stylistic breaks that'll just happen mid-scene Yeah, that come out really cool. And you can definitely see a lot of influence that Tarantino took from this type of stuff. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Seijun Suzuki's Yakuza films before he got blacklisted, specifically Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill, which are is most famous. It's like there are these extreme surrealistic stylistic touches to it. And this, they're, they're brought in more artfully, I think. And well, not, it's not more artfully, but they're less like out there and more just almost like a theater, like a, you know, kind of a, an aspect to it. Yeah. I would say Kabuki like inspiration, but also with a very much late sixties, early seventies, just aesthetic and um lo you know lots of sh parts of the movie have very heavy color focus so it's all blues or all reds or whatever lots of like smart uh, decisions like that but bold colors and revolving se like sets with revolving like set pieces in them or uh parts where time progresses very rapidly there's a scene in this film where it goes from summertime to fall to winter in like a matter of minutes and it's yeah. very cool and it basically feels like a precursor to anime in its style and um but it's very much of the 70s exploitation overall thing so there's a lot of rape and sexual assault generally i mean they're revenge flicks largely as most i think a lot of women in prison films are they're always wrongfully put in prison and then they're trying to get their revenge right and uh but it this one is like weirder and darker and has this kind of like ultra right like or ultra extreme feminist edge but it's still very I much directed like by like a male both did yeah but the first one you know spoiler alert for the first one if you don't want to hear this skip ahead a little bit but the first one, she's put in prison because she was betrayed by her evil cop boyfriend. Yeah. And this one, the women who are in prison are just like, I fucking killed my kids and stabbed the baby out of my stomach. I set fires to things. Like, 
these are like real hard on women. And mind you, th- at this point, Lady Scorpion has killed an upwards of 20 to 30 people yeah. and, and taken the eye off of a warden, but they really stepped up the, like, the really, like, deep down, like, darkness factor of it. Yeah, the whole, I think, sort of spin of the film is that these are, all these women were put upon by men in various ways in their life in an extreme way. Like, you know, they're basically living in this extremely patriarchal society, which I don't even care. It's not about being woke or social justice. Like, that's literally how it is in Japan, even to this day. And so they've all been exploited and are have taken their rage out in some ways on men and either prior to being jailed or after they're on the run. And it's this whole idea of like women who are bound by their sins to one another and to the past and are condemned as like less than and less desirable and like it it I don't know, like I think it hits its points pretty successfully for being the kind of film that it is yeah and it definitely has this ability to like have those more like character driven scenes and then all of a sudden boom hyper violence yeah or like hyper stylized not even violence but just like a lot of yeah tree dick threw me off yeah tree dick was intense and uh but also there was the main character Mako. she only speaks two lines in the entire film and yeah, they're, they're like basically back to back, and that's I think that we, was she it. spoke a lot more in the first one. Yeah, so we'll, we I bought the box set. I'm interested to see where they go from here. This is supposed to be at the peak, although the third one's supposed to be pretty good, and then the fourth one's a little less psychedelic because the director changed. But yeah, I don't know if we're gonna review them soon on the podcast. We'll probably end up watching them prior to us recording again. Yeah. But uh, maybe eventually, we'll probably at least talk about it as a whole eventually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, so, I think I'd give the first film somewhere between, it's hard, it's like, probably a 7.5, there are aspects of it that, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just enjoyable, but not maybe necessarily the greatest, so maybe it should be lower, but then it's also really enjoyable, so it feels like it should be higher, so I'd probably stick at like 7.5, this is like, between an 8.5 and a 9 almost for me, I really, I mean, I've only watched it the one time, but on initial watching, I was really impressed and it has it fits in well with the series of artful weird sexual violent films we've been watching from japan which we've are been watching a lot of japanese exploitation yeah specifically from this era of like 68 to 74 and it's just they just like went wild they did it man they they really went for it yeah so yeah i think i'm definitely in the right mindset for it but you know Lady Snowblood, which you haven't seen yet, is is a stronger film on the whole. It's like a better film film. But I thought that for what this lacked in some substance, it made up for in style. But I didn't even think it was really particularly lacking in substance. It was more of a kind of a dark character study of several characters. Well, the, and what's the actress's name? Mako Kaji. The other movie she was in, Curse of a Blonde Woman? Yeah. That wholly out of the two uh, Lady Scorpion movies we've seen is definitely a better movie. You think so? Yeah, I love that. The way everything played out and the way the characters, they felt more fleshed out. But it also wasn't as much of an exploitation film. Oh, see, I disagree. I think that's like, 
That movie was a gigantic mess. I thought visually it had tons of cool stuff, but uh, even really? this one I thought was better. Yeah, I mean the plot and the the some of the things in it. I really really loved it, but I just like period piece yakuza. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And they had that stinky guy. Yeah. And the whole scene with the mirrors and the the dope and the. And then they they had the kabuki guy who's been in a ton of movies we've been watching. But uh, no, a, not he's a buto dancer. Buto. He, well, he's the inventor of buto. Okay. Yeah. That so, guy. Yeah. Who rules. Anyway, but as far as these movies go, I definitely give the first one like an eight, just because for me it has a lot of rewatch value. Yeah. But this one definitely topped it. This is definitely a eight, solid 8. nine. Five, nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I. You know, I don't know. I I think we're generally pretty positive on on the podcast. I mean, we we aim to watch things we're gonna like. Sometimes That's we're true. disappointed. That's why I got bad by. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um. You know, I, I feel like maybe it's partially as I get older and it's a combination of life experience and also, like, a growing pool of knowledge as to the historical importance and value of, like, exploitation cinema and its place in whatever countries and all that. That all adds to me, like, an, an extra level of respect and interest. And then it's also, like, you watch a movie like we watched tonight and basically you can only see those types of films that are exploitative to a point but also artfully done in the art house cinema and there's like maybe one a year and basically the the couple that made emmer and um strange color of your body's tears and all that like they do that kind of hyper stylized violence nudity like with a soundtrack that's straight lifted out of the 70s and late 60s that was uh the house of jack built by uh von Traer. yeah right so it's it's literally art films are the only way you can even catch the stuff for this used to just be the stuff they grinded out on the side yeah. of like everything else and i think for that they reason they throw 10 scripts at a director and be like go make this literally that's in japan that's yeah. how it was it was like 10 scripts at a time and um so i i guess like i just i really like all this stuff and it it impresses me in a way that 99 percent of the movies that come out today don't and it's not that they're all bad they're just like not to my style godzilla king of monsters being uh, 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 exception. Don't see the wind. Don't see the wind. It was so bad. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. But yeah, this was um, this was a solid movie. So, why don't yeah. you uh, why don't you dive in? Yeah. There, Dick Fetty. Okay. So for tonight's fetish uh, return, I covered coprophilia, and there's a couple reasons for this. Well, hold on. Let me back up. So for those who don't know what that is, that's that's the poo-poo. Yes, that's, you like the poo. Yeah, you like the poo-poo. And so I do not like the poo-poo. I just want to get that out there. And I don't say that because I would be ashamed if I did, but more of this isn't one I covered because I'm interested in it on a personal level, like autoerotic asphyxiation as I covered last time. This is... Because partially I read an article about Swap.avi, a review of the film on Something Awful, which is where the film originated, and I will get to Swap.avi later in this portion. Uh, that partially informed this decision, and then part of it was just like, it's interesting, and I could find more on it than I could on extreme gaping and fisting. I, I feel like fisting, there's got to be a lot of info out there, but I just didn't know where to look yet. And I do want to do a fisting episode. I know you do so bad. I know. I really... I actually was talking because I wasn't sure whether I was going to do my co my topic just because of the lines of the skirt. And I also want to say that, you know, none of these episodes were out to kink shame anyone. 
outside of the whole necrophilia thing, but... What do you mean? We're I mean, kink-shaming necrophiles? I mean, no. Yeah. It's a victimless crime. Anyway, um... Uh, I feel like if I gave my consent prior to my death for somebody to use my body for sexual purposes, I don't see any issue with that. Can I get that in writing? Yeah. And I am certainly not here to kink shame anybody. And as I said on air previously, definitely would have sex with a dead body. So, and I'm not, I'm not any kind of moral hierarchy. I'm not here to judge anybody else on anything. You're not the moral police. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so I pick up the poo poo and. (laughs) I pick a da In the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, which our ex-co-host, I guess we call her, she's sort of on hiatus indefinitely. Who? Alexa. Who? Flex Alexa. Drawing blanks. Uh, she's currently reading the DSM, so it's just funny. But anyways. The really tall one that I saw lift a car? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're thinking of the Hulk. Um, it's classified under 302... Point eight nine paraphilia NOS not otherwise specified and has no diagnostic criteria other than the general statement about paraphilias that says the diagnosis is made of uh, is made if the behavior sexual urges or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social occupational or other important areas of functioning furthermore the DSM four TR notes fantasies behaviors or objects are paraphilic only when they lead to a significantly uh, clinically significant distress or impairment, e.g., are obligatory, result in sexual dysfunction, require participation of non-consenting individuals, individuals lead to complications, interfere with social relationships. Which is to say that you can have a paraphilic. So if it's a difference between like fetish play and interest versus full-on fetish. We talked about this last time. Yeah. I'm not going to go further, other than to say. If scat is the only way you get hard, then that would be um, paraphilic and diagnosable per the DSM as being uh, a paraphilic fetish that potentially would have negative consequences because it's non-procreative and, like, if you just can't stop getting pooped on or pooping on people and it negatively affects your life and your sex life and your mental health, then it would be a disorder. It would be a disordered paraphilia. And if it doesn't, and... Like, it's just something you're into. It's like a bonus thing if somebody gets poo-poo on their pee, pee-pee, um, then, then you, you're good. And we are not doctors, nor are we therapists like or how, clinicians. How much you think? If someone gets the poo-poo on the pee-pee. Yeah. So. If they put the, the, the poo-poo on your no-no zone. Yeah. There's not really, there's not much, uh. Literature specifically on coprophilia as far as peer-reviewed academic literature, but I did look. So I was, I don't know, introduced to poo-poo in the porn sometime at a young, tender age, undoubtedly. But the first time that I really saw the poo-poo get get the eaten was... I don't know if Two Girls, One Cup came out before. I think it came out before, but... That didn't really, I guess, make a huge impact on me for whatever reason. It was more of Tub Girl. Tub Girl's what you got. What got you going? Tub Girl. I was gonna look up the background for Tub Girl. So yeah, so I saw Tub Girl in middle school. If you guys don't know Tub Girl, Google Tub Girl. It's a classic. But no, I was thinking of Solo, 120 Days of Sodom, when they make the kids eat poop, mm-hmm. and and like, so, yeah. Um... 
Just not my not my particular bag. No. Uh, I like pee. Pee's great. Poo's just not. It just doesn't do it for me. And sometimes it also makes me want to throw up. So. Yeah, it's kind of rough. I've gone my whole life without seeing two girls one cup, and now I've seen swap dot avi. A little bit, yeah. So. You didn't even have the sound on, which makes it so much worse. I'm gonna be blaring last podcast on the way home while crying. The only articles I really have are all Vice articles, and then... Of course they are. Yeah, I know. Right. Well, it was like, I looked a lot of places, and I did some personal research. I have a Something Awful article, and I did a Reddit, uh, and asked me anything about a guy who eats the poo-poo. And (laughs) so, I don't have a ton of information, so we're just going to kind of breeze through it. So, there's a Vice article that talks about fetish interest, generally, the difference between having a full-on fetish and having interest in, like, fetish behavior or specific, you know, fetish play, basically. And what they talk about is that normally there is a link that develops between somebody, between their sexuality and some specific either setting or action or smell or whatever that leads to the development of whatever fetish. And so there are people that have specific fetishes for everything in the world from, they talk about in the article, caves to foggy days to being in wood shops to poo-poo. And so... They say I that. like how every time you <laughs> you say poo poo, you, you're you're like to you know poo poo. Yeah, like I, it, it drops down a little. Like you're ashamed. No, it's not even like that. I'm trying to make something that's a little bit rough, more palatable. But we can just call it shit. <laughs> shit from more now on. Palatable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of double entendres. So, yeah, so as far as scat, shit, whatever goes, basically they talk about in the article and they, they've got some quotes from some essentially like researchers of sex and human behavior and things like right. that, that a lot of fetish stuff comes from the suppression of essentially like the gross out instincts during arousal, which is part of an evolutionary trait they kind of believe because... Back in the day, everything was gross and dirty, and human beings were filthy, and you think, you know, some girl's pussy smells from the bar. Imagine banging some Oognog, the uh, the chick who lives in the cave next door, and she's never washed her pussy, and it smells, you know? <laughs> Oognog. <laughs> that's, that's what I came up with. Imagine it smells like old eggnog from Oognog, a cave. Oognog, the girl next door. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'm fine. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So... Yeah, so she's, she smells, and you go to put it up in the old crankshaft, and, uh... Yeah, you do the old mouth breathe, and you bear down. Yeah, you bear down for midterm, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, seriously, so that's how, especially with something like scat, where there's a pungent smell, and there's hypothetically a taste if it gets to that place, um... Are you gonna go into great detail about how poo tastes? A little bit of detail. I am kind of interested in a okay. sickening way. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that is why, uh, you know, people can get into to scat and not have it be, not Gross. be like so, yeah, like throw up on themselves and, and whatever. I don't think I really need to go in this too much, but I just want to touch on, in the article they talk about essentially the, uh, because sex is linked with the reward pathway with dopamine and things like that, when you bind that pathway to specific uh, images or smells or whatever, all those things, uh, as that bond formed, that's how essentially fetishes develop in part. There can be other stuff too, and there's sometimes they're just weird, unexplained things, but that's basically the way our brain works. And especially if you're a more sexually 
active or motivated person, you have a high sex drive, like you're going to be forming bonds more often. It's part of what makes pornography such a mess, no pun intended and whatnot, because for people that like they, as they build the bond of like orgasm in relation to porn is in relation to aloneness, the ability to have sex with other people can become more difficult, especially right. if you're consuming a lot of pornography and not getting laid. And it's an issue like the world over, especially in developing countries, especially in Japan. And I do just want to uh, name the article, which says, which is called how the hell can someone have a poop fetish, which is from November 2nd, 2017. So the one thing I'll say that I didn't do as far as research that I just ran out of time and was also at work by the time I found out about it. Was it actually eat poo? No, uh, was go to there. There at least was a subreddit called Copra Files, but I don't know if that still exists. It may. Uh, I was I thought of it because I was like, I'm sure there's probably a scat Reddit subreddit, but they also deleted a lot of the grosser reddits in the past five years. So who knows if that's still there. But there is another article on Vice called Hot Shit, Women Share Their Messiest Poop Fetishes from May 24th, 2016. You had to print out the pictures with the articles, didn't you? I did not intend to do that, no. I was having issues with the printer, actually. So in the article, they got five different women to talk about their relation to the fetish, uh, their personal experiences with it, and the sort of common theme of it all was that for women, it's often it's difficult for them to find it in pornography form because it's already not available on most websites, but most scat stuff involves dudes shitting on either chicks or, you know, whatever. And there's not so much of like girl on girl or girl alone, which I don't know is entirely true. It all depends on where you look. Cause I guess I've seen a lot more scat porn than, you know, necessary then, i was gonna say then who because the people who are truly into scatborn have seen a lot more than you yeah i'm not saying that they haven't but I've, I've seen more than the average guy who's not into scat maybe yeah I, I i think i've seen more porn than the average guy i don't know about that are you an average guy are you exceptional oh but anyway Tell so me more about poop all right, so the the other thing that came across in both the, the Reddit and in this article was they talked about the smell of poop is much worse than the taste. And most people have a Bristol scale preference as to the poop that they like for their fetish purposes. So for those who don't know the Bristol scale, it's like a seven, there's a seven categorizations of poop and its firmness, its shape, its coloration, its smell, etc. It's based on diet, it's based on... Um, lower bowel health and things like that. It's something I'm familiar with with IBS because I want to make sure I'm not dying uh, at any given time, so I have to compare my... Maybe that's why you're not into scat. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it because, like, my asshole is a, a source of torture for me, and it's the same reason why, like, I just don't want to get fucked in the ass. Like, not... I feel like it would be awesome, but my hemorrhoids and my diarrhea just, like... Yeah, it could. You could end up having a scat experience. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I like it though. I don't <laughs> want to turn that leaf though. I just feel like yeah, I got maybe enough it, problems. Maybe it truly empties you out, and that's the only way you can nut from now on. Yeah. The other thing that was talked about. Oh, oh so anyway, so the smell is is worse than the taste. Some people describe it as being generally bitter. A lot of people said it's kind of almost like coffee beans, like un unroasted or um, really dark chocolate, <laughs> which is kind of funny. So 
Yeah, and most of the people had tried their own shit at some point in developing their relation with the fetish, and most of them had it as a private fetish that they never shared with any partners or anybody else. And you might get into this, but can it get you real sick? So that's an interesting point. So on the Reddit post, the guy talked about he ate it, like he put it in his mouth and swallowed it a couple times, but said he had read some things that said he was generally pretty safe as long as it's his own poo-poo. And then somebody who's a microbiologist or so they claimed said that's not so true. There's a lot of problems with the poo-poo in the mouth. Shit. Poop. Um, and they agreed to disagree. And so they all... Two of the girls talk about, like, they have eaten and swallowed poop, and as long as they didn't eat too much, they were generally pretty okay. Um, but... <laughs> this leads me to, like, wonder about all, like, the E. coli outbreaks when, like, food places have, and, like, do people just take a shit in a thing of lettuce? Like, it's gotta be a lot of poo, right? Well, I think there's a difference between animal feces and human feces and the kind of the bacteria that are in it, because the... The ecosystem of the bowel is different for every animal and every person. The longer you talk about this, the more questions I have, and it's starting to worry me. Yeah, so, but that's kind of it. And so basically they talk about, it's the, it's part of its diet, part of its generally bowel health. If anybody's sick, if the person eating poop's been sick, if the person pooping's been sick, if you have um, any autoimmune issues, or if the other person has autoimmune issues... Don't eat the poo-poo. Yeah, and, and then if you're, um, how recent the poop is. So the, the newer, I guess, the better, I think, the healthier the poop. Well, yeah, you don't, you don't want some stale poop. You want, you want fresh off the tap. <laughs> then the, the other common theme that I read about was the general interest in the extremely private nature of the act and the tabooness of it too both heightened the arousal for that makes sense yeah it's pretty normal but um also the other thing was sometimes the waste is less of the interest as the actual act of shitting is really where the interest lies in two of the women and it's the it's watching like the anus stretch and like they two of the women talked about or maybe it was even three they would set up mirrors when they were teenagers and like watch themselves shit and like it all turned on the one girl talked about she was really into uh specifically voyeur guys shitting porn so it would be guys like and she liked it. it was like japanese toilets right like guys who had to squat over a hole and then like somebody's like looking at them through the bathroom and that's apparently pretty tough to find which i can believe to be true so um hard enough to well anyway um so you know those those are all it's like everything it's not just about I want to watch two girls, one cup, and jerk off. That's that's just, like, one version of this. This is, can also be... I'm glad you finally got that off your chest. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, so it also can be, like, you know, the, other fetishes mixed in, and it can be just, like, I'm only interested in watching myself shit, or I'm only interested in my own shit, and whatever. Nobody had claimed to have been sick from eating shit in these articles, other than, like, the one girl said she got a tummy ache when she ate too much poop one time, but... She really went ham that day. It's one of those things where I feel like people will self-report pretty honestly if they have anonymity yeah. to a point, but also it'd, it'd be the kind of thing where you would, maybe you did get sick from eating your own shit, but that's where you draw the line as far as admitting stuff, and I can also believe that, so. Well, yeah, well, that would make your fetish extra gross. Yeah. In a fetish that's also already most people think is pretty damn gross. Right. So, that's sort of the 
Oh, the other thing that I just wanted to mention that I thought was disappointing, but not shocking, on the Ask Me Anything on Reddit, a lot of people essentially they made fun or said, like, you're sick and you need help, and I was surprised by the level of, like, kink shaming generally, but the person was, like, pretty okay. They had made peace with themselves and were like, yeah, it's I think I'm fine. Yeah, you know, but it's, it's funny because I think Reddit's often, but I don't know why I think that. Reddit's as bad as anywhere yes, else. Yes, no, I don't. Have you been on Reddit? Yeah. The places where people post porn aren't that mean, but... I guess that's the only places I ever yeah. am on Reddit. <laughs> so then there is an article from Vice. This only tangentially touches on it and speaks specifically less to fetish and more to pornography itself. And the original article was titled, Why is the guy who made two girls one cup going to jail? Uh, it's an article about Ira Isaacs and obscenity law in the um, United States generally, but he's not the one who made two girls one cup, although that guy did go to court over the whether or not the poop was real, and the court found that the poop was real, and he got fined. I think that was in Brazil, though. But in the United States, the Department of Justice defines obscenity as work that has no literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. And for those who are involved in or interested in hardcore pornography or extreme, uh, not even outsider art, just alternative art, the two people that I think of when it comes to obscenity are Mike Diana, who is famous for his comic uh, Boiled Angel, which he was sentenced to prison in Florida because of like alleged violations of the obscenity law and Max Hardcore and obscenity law and also pornography generally are defined famously pornography was designed the judge I think it was I want to say it was Supreme Court although my con law is a little rusty these days the judge said essentially I know it when I see it and that's the whole problem with obscenity and pornography as far as legal definitions go, they are completely subjective in the way that they're worded, which is not normally how things are in the law. And who's who's Max Hardcore? You don't know Max Hardcore? For the people listening, Frank. Oh, well, <laughs> Max Hardcore is like one of my all-time favorites. He's this old guy. Let me show you a picture. I'm going to post a picture of Max Hardcore to the Instagram. Uh, not that he's related to Scat, but he's just, he's my fucking... <laughs> not that we can post any of the... Yeah. Oh, it would be funny if we just, like... I like, can I can get the title screen from Swap.avi. Yeah, also get, like, um, like, frozen chocolate yogurt going into a cone. Yeah, just like a long gif. Yeah, yeah. So, Max Hardcore is a pornographer who was, I, I forget if he was... Florida or Cali? I think he was Cali, but maybe it was Florida. No, he was he was definitely Cali. And he wears a big old uh, Stinson cowboy hat and films most of his scenes with that hat on. And then he just bangs all these young girls in the most aggressive and degrading and hateful way possible. And his voice is hilarious. And his it's just it's it's quite it's quite hardcore. And uh, I don't know that it's the maximum of hardcore that I've ever seen, but it's not. His name is just Max. Yeah, it's top. It's top tier. And there's a there's a documentary called Hardcore about this British woman who's trying to break into the porn industry, and she does a, sh- a thing with Max Hardcore, which like her agent pushes her into, and she doesn't want to do. And she's just like sobbing in this one scene, and he's standing over her with his cowboy hat on and his fucking tube socks, and just like dick out, and 
<laughs> it's awful, but it's also extremely hilarious to me. And um, anyway, he's a fucking legend, and he went <laughs> to jail for two years because of, uh, or was it, I guess four for obscenity charges. And the the dude from um, Seymour Butts, he got he got hit with uh, obscenity charges for Tampa Tushy Fest too, and uh, I forget the other one. But he just did a bunch of squirting videos, and everybody all got up in arms. I didn't even know obscenity laws like this were such a major thing for people going to fucking prison. Yeah. Yeah, well, the whole thing is that there was, uh, under George W. Bush, there was what was called the Obscenity Prosecution Tax Force that was put together, which was uh, founded sort of to appease conservative Christian groups that supported George W. Bush into, well, throughout his presidency. And so one of the first people that they got was Max Hardcore, the same year they were formed, and they sent him to jail for 46 months on five counts of obscenity. There's also some somebody else. I'm missing it in my notes now. But the, the reason I bring this up is that Scat falls into this, and this Ira Isaacs guy, to get way off the fucking point, made one beast... Well, he made a couple bestiality and a couple Scat videos, but that's what, he, that's what they got him for. And... Max Hardcore didn't even have any scat. It was just too hardcore. And they just picked random stuff and said, like, this is obscenity. <laughs> this is too hardcore. Yeah, and that's that's the whole... That's the, the insanity of it. And the idea that, like, okay, yeah, there's not a literary or artistic value, although I would say that Max Hardcore definitely makes art. But it's it's like there's... Then it should come under some kind of product law. You know what I mean? From my perspective, it's like, if we're talking as pornography as an industry and it needs to be regulated as to what's allowed to be shown or what's not, then do it that way. But making it a criminal act to produce videos that are consenting adults engaging in sexual behavior for profit, it's like, that's generally allowed, but then they can just arbitrarily say, you ate the poo-poo on camera, and now you go to prison. And that's not against freedom of speech? No. Really? Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like that's that's what makes it insane. Is it's not protected speech under the First Amendment. Obscenity specifically is not protected speech and the bar is super high and can be there are some other cases that have like and I just had this in municipal court where I was arguing on a harassment charge. There's an extremely high bar. But yeah, it's it's insane and it doesn't normally come up, but like these high profile people can get hit and if if they essentially piss off the wrong politician, then they'll send this uh, obscenity prosecution task force against more them. like obscenity Gestapo. Yeah, which is funny because actually in my research, um, one of the reasons that it's allowed to go on in the country I'm going to speak about is because of freedom of speech. Yeah, well, I do want to mention I did find this guy's name. Um, John Stagliano is facing up to was facing up to 32 years in jail for his uh, films Milk Nymphos and Storm Squirters 2, Target Practice. And eventually the judge threw the case out, saying there wasn't enough evidence to continue on the trial. But he's the one who runs Evil Angel, who I'm sure you've seen a film or two from. Yes. So, uh, But basically they talk about how, in this article, and I, I agree generally, like it's insane where stuff like Two Girls, One Cup is part of the zeitgeist, is part of pop culture, and... The people that make videos like that can go to jail on an arbitrary basis based on making those videos, even though there maybe is a greater context to what those videos exist in. And, like, enough people have seen it, you would think, how could they prosecute somebody for making 
making something we all enjoy. Maybe there is some artistry, or at least entertainment value. But then again, well, anyways. So, it just boggles my mind, man. Yeah. It really does. The last thing I want to talk about is Swap.avi. So this was a... For those who don't know something awful, we've talked about it on this show before. It's a forum and a website that's a... It's a pay-to-be-on-the-forum. You have to pay a monthly subscription. And they've produced a bunch of different things that have, like, turned into parts of the internet zeitgeist. Um, Slenderman being the most famous yes. thing. But Swap.avi is not as famous, but is infinitely, Should be. infinitely more important. And I don't, I'd kill someone in the name of Swap.avi. I think I was on Reddit when it got mentioned, and I wound up going to the link. And so on Something Awful, they used to review, they had a series called The Horrors of Porn, where they would watch horrifying porn videos and then rate them on a negative scale. Uh, negative 50 being the lowest you could go, and they gave this movie negative infinity. So, wow. Yeah, they broke the scale with this one and they never went further. But basically, a guy from Something Awful Forums found a Brazilian video company who would make anything for money, and he asked them as a scat man to make a film of girls uh, doing this, doing the scat, do, do, <laughs> doing the poo poo. Let me be, let me discuss this clinically this is serious so he wanted a video of one girl pooping into another girl's butthole and then that girl poops it in back into that girl's butthole and then they poop it into a th third butthole and then they eat the poop and then they throw up in the buttholes and they said okay it'll be 350 dollars <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they got the money together and they sent it off to Brazil, and they waited and they waited, and everybody said, this isn't real, it's not going to happen. The guy got banned from the forums before it got released, but then through proxy accounts and whatnot, uh, eventually word came out that for all those interested, uh, swap.avi had been made. and um, $300 for almost an hour worth of great content? Yeah. Dick Fetty, you can't go wrong. I've spent almost as much on records that were less long, so... But I pirated this. I didn't want to... Um, Does this Brazilian know, company still exist? I don't know. I haven't I haven't gotten there yet. I only watched Swap Did AVI last night. Um, but there is a humorous something awful post. I'll, I'll post the link for it that describes this video in detail. And first, first, it's an initial description where they talk about how there are moments that have changed lives for all time. The JFK <laughs> assassination, the moon landing, and 9-11... Uh, and then swap.avi is the fourth one now. And <laughs> nothing has ever been the same. And and there's a bunch of other um, things that he used to describe it that are quite hilarious. And there, there's some Holocaust joke in there that was quite humorous. But uh, then on the last page of the thing, he, he watches the whole film and then describes it. And breaks it. it down. Yeah, every couple of minutes. And there's this one particular part where <laughs> he says... Uh, I think I can see my reflection in their eyes. We both want to die. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, like 36 minutes in. He describes the sound of the shit coming out of the one girl's ass as somebody ripping wallpaper, paste off of wallpaper, which is pretty accurate. And I did not watch the film um, in a single sitting, uh, like just all in one go. I skipped through it. I, I probably watched in total last night 15 minutes um, in different chunks. All in one sitting, but just not the whole film. I just didn't have an hour that I could, I could, I couldn't do that. 
It is exactly what you I described. It it's is, worse than what he is describing. It's like these Brazilian girls, none of whom are particularly attractive, all of whom are covered in shit by the end, and like they're trying to eat it and look happy and it's like really rough. I when I look into your eyes, I see their faces. I, I feel I feel dead right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel dead on the inside. I know. Snuff videos don't have anything on swap.avi. If you go to the Pirate Bay, you can find it very easily. There's a torrent of it still up. I'm currently seeding it, so if you want to <laughs> get in on this. You might get Frank's copy of swap.avi. Yeah. So, it's worth watching. No, that's not it's, true. That's not true, Frank. It's not true. Um, but yeah, so there are people that they like to eat poop and to smell poop or to touch poop. They like their own poop. Sometimes they like other people's and poop. And if you're listening and you're into poop, then yeah, I guess it's pretty worth it. it it's okay produced. Yeah. The quality wasn't bad. I mean, it's extreme, yeah. even for poop. Yeah. So th there's the vomit part is really what makes me want to like just up chuck, but... Nah, it was the eating poop part for me, <laughs> <Yeah>. but... <laughs> That was pretty uh, rough and tumble, but uh, and stay after for a bonus scene. Yeah, to, yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean, it was. Um, I can't say I've walked away from this experience as a better person. In in fact, I think I'm less than I ever was, as a result of this research. And though I tried to cleanse my mind with hardcore pornography immediately following last night's Swap.AVI session. Uh, I just somehow fused hardcore pornography and swap.avi into my brain when I tried to sleep and I got no rest. So I'm here tonight as a victim, um, but yeah. also as an educator. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't regret it. I want to say, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like if someone offered me like, Hey, do you want to hunt a man? Yeah. I'd, I'd do it. Oh yeah. I wouldn't necessarily enjoy it, but I'd have that experience. Yeah. And now I'm here officially seeing... Oh, honest to God, scat video. Yeah. And if you want to see Blue Waffles, Google that, too. Yeah, well, that's just that's just a fun breakfast that you can make for your family. Yeah. It has nothing to do. It's that's... good. Uh, you got Fourth of July coming up. That's, um, that's yeah. uh, strawberries, blue waffles, whipped cream. You got your red, red yeah. white, and blue. Google the picture of it. It looks a lot harder to make than it actually is, but that's you'll be true. able to find it. You will. And, uh, you know, I always like to look at Lemon Party for the recipe for the lemonade that they have because it's exceptional and time-tested. Yeah. So. And I just like to look at Top Girl Jerk Off. Yeah. <laughs> Up top, my guy. <laughs> so, that's it. Scatman out. Alright. Oh, God. Whew. So, mine, I personally consider to be less gross, but... Possibly more controversial? Yeah, I definitely think it's more controversial. And so, some people might say it's more gross. So I decided, and I wasn't sure if I was going to do this at first, but I decided to cover Lollicon. Mm. If you don't know what Lollicon is, it's a very specific type of hentai and doujin. Mm. Like, very specific. What's hentai? Hentai is anime porn. Okay. Doujin is comic manga porn. What does hentai mean? It means pervert. We're really going to go through all this? I just want the listeners it to know. It means pervert. Hentai means pervert. Um, and we might do like a full-on history of hentai episode. We probably will. I am personally a huge fan of hentai. Mm -hmm. I love hentai. Watch it. I'm a doujin boy. I like doujin too, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a new father, so I don't always have a 
time to sit down and read a whole comic to jerk off to. I don't need a whole comic. I just need like three panels. <laughs> I want to start this off with kind of... Disclaimer? Yeah, disclaimer. This, this is probably going to upset some people. But also, I kind of want to build a little bit upon how Japan is in current climate and recent climate. Can I, can I say one thing? We do not advocate for the making, the trafficking, uh, the continuation of actual child porn in any form in any country. Correct. And I'm not willing to give my views on Lolicon at all. I don't really have any. I don't, I don't intake it. Okay. I have watched some animes that aren't hentai that, you know, really skirt that line. Mm -hmm. But so, and we touched on this before and I'm pretty positive that I got this wrong, but I think in our, one of our previous episodes, our Asian serial killer episode, I had stated that child pornography was legal to own in Japan until the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. That was not true. Okay. Until 2014. Nice. Yeah. Bit rough. So, in Japan, you've been there. I'm a weeb. Mind you guys, I'm wearing a Dragon Ball Z shirt, very tight, tight acid wash jeans, and Pokemon boxer briefs. So, just to kind of give you a little glimpse into my own soul and how much I enjoy most things that come out of Japan. Yeah. Although, Baby Trunks is pantless, despite the name in this, so... Baby Trunks isn't on this, just get Trunks. I don't know the fucking... Don't act like you don't want Dragon Ball Z. Hey, we're, we're getting off topic here, all right? You know what made cafes are. Yes. You know what hostess clubs are. I do. Do you know what a JK cafe is? Sounds cool. JK. <laughs> it's very similar to those two things, except uh-huh. it's exclusively high school girls. Oh. You go, you pay to hold their hands, take them out for coffee, fall asleep on their lap, mm. go for a walk. Mind you, they do have a bodyguard the whole time. Who's just another girl. No, it's 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 a very big, scary Japanese man. Cool. Which, I mean, to us would only be about a foot shorter than us. Yeah. So if you guys don't know what a maid cafe is, it's essentially a restaurant mm-hmm. where cute girls dress in maid costumes and act overly cute. Yeah. It's, uh, an ex- it's so, you know, like the Hard Rock Cafe or Planet Hollywood... Yes. It probably dates me, but we're Rainforest Cafe. Any of those types of chain um, atmosphere, theme, restaurants. Yeah, theme restaurants. It's the same kind of thing, but as, if not more expensive. But you have the opportunity to pay, to, to flirt with girls who are paid to flirt with you. And who will never have sex with you. Yes. And so, when I was in Japan most recently... I went to one and it was a it was a really fun time and they made my drinks they I I asked them to make Totoro and they did that and they made like a little Totoro green tea latte that cost me I don't know like twenty dollars yeah they had... usually make cute things out of your food and your drinks no. and then they also have hostess and host clubs where you essentially go and someone of the opposite sex usually I don't know if they accept. Like man on man and girl on girl there's in not, those clubs. There's not a lot of gay acceptance in Japan generally, but I'm sure that they exist. They're just you know, and I'm sure they're probably hopping for the ones that do. Probably, where you go there, they, you pay them to hang out with you, and they get you real drunk and spend a lot of money. Yeah, basically, there's a whole. Uh, if you've ever played the Yakuza games, there's like a mini game in all the Yakuza games where you, 
you in the Yakuza 2, like you are a host, but also you can go to hostess clubs and spend all your money that you make being a host. I'm not very good at not spending all my money, but it is rewarding in that kind of I'm doing it in a video game way. This is even sadder than reality. Go on. Spending four real life hours in a gambling place in a PS2 game. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. If you guys get a chance, check out the documentary The Happiness Space, I believe it's called. Mm. It was made years ago, and at the time it was about the top host club in Japan. And it's just a really interesting look into that type of culture and how those places are run. Yeah, they're, they're largely, the clientele is almost exclusively Japanese people, though. Yeah. Everybody's expected to speak Japanese. You can't go in there as a white boy who doesn't speak Japanese and be able to do it. If you speak Japanese, you're good, but like generally you're... It's not the touristy thing to do. The no. maid cafe is the touristy They're famous, thing but they're do. not... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you could go to J.K. Alley and do the same thing with high school girls. Now, apparently. where's J.K. Alley? Kabuki Cho? I, I don't know. I would presume it's in Kabuki Cho. But that stands for Josie Kosai, which directly translates to high school girls. Nice. And the last bit of thing I'm going to mention is Chaco Edo. Do you know what that is? No. Chocolate love? It means erotically clothed. And mm. I'm sure you've been on the internet and seen plenty of sexy Japanese girls wearing, like, swimsuits and, mm -hmm. you know, costumes and I shit. I told you I went to the fetish store where they sold worn swimsuits. Yes. Yeah. So... There's no exposed butts, no exposed genitals, no exposed nipples... And the ages range anywhere from full-on adult to uh, the... I read a BBC article pretty much being like, Do, is Japan avoiding the topic of pedophilia? And the answer is, pretty much. Yeah. But the woman interviewed a guy who shoots this, and she asked him what was the youngest girl he ever shot, and he said, six years old. And I was like, bleh. Yeah. Um, and then when asked what he would do if someone did this to his 16-year-old daughter, and he said, I would force him and myself to commit suicide. <laughs> oh, Japan. Change a little bit, but don't ever change. So I wanted to give you kind of... I want to give the listeners kind of an idea of where this Cult comes from. Yeah, culturally. And how strange and weird and we I know we've touched on it before their idea of like sexuality and pornography and things of that ilk are in that country because you're still not allowed to see pubic hair. I, I do want to say that it's one of those things where in Japan it looks one way that's slightly different than the way it looks here so it seems like so foreign and exotic but like do remember Honey Boo Boo and Jean Benet Ramsey. Like, we sexualize children like nobody's business in this country. We, there's a whole industry for it. And so it's not like the Japanese are alone in their obsession with... I'm not saying that. I'm no, saying I know. I'm not saying you the, are. The laws probably should have been changed sooner than oh, 2014. Yeah, no, I don't disagree <laughs> with that in any, any, in any way. But I'm just saying that, yeah, it is true in the sense of, in, I feel like all modern countries, there's generally... Uh, over-sexualization of yeah. children in the way that they sell them clothes and this, that, and the other. But anyway. And I think it lends itself to anime with the big eyes and these little looks, but I'll I'll, yeah. I'll get to that. So, Lolicon, and this is how it's pronounced on the Wikipedia page, so I'm not being racist. Rarikon. Ah. Uh. Yes. It 
is manga, it's anime, it's hentai, it's doujin, which is all about attraction to young girls. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of classify the different types of lolly, but all in all, most of it is pornographic. Some of it is not. There is a pretty well-liked anime right now. I think it's called Edo-chan or Edo-manga-chan. It's about this guy whose younger sister, who doesn't look over the age of 13, is a online uh, doujin artist. And I heard it's very good, but not my shtick, so I'm not going to fucking watch it. So and they're not always children, honestly. It's they're childlike. They look like children. They act childlike. It's that very kawaii. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever watched anime, then you know that ninety percent of the time, like every girl in, or at least a lot of animes, like the women are drawn in such a way that they always seem as if they're stuck somewhere between sixteen and twenty-one. And Jesus Christ, if you ever met Japanese people. Women, like, they hit, like, 16, and then they just look the same way for the next 45 years until age hits them like an atomic bomb. That's And they turn into raisins. So the art style for a lot of these is very reminiscent of uh, shoujo anime anime and manga, which is, like, old-school girl comics. Mm -hmm. That very soft lines, not a lot of hard angles, big eyes, little mouth, which sounds like a lot of anime and manga, but if you know your stuff... yeah, 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 yeah. So the term lolicon, which you probably already know, Dick Fetty, comes from the phrase Lolita Complex. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of Japan, lolicon is less commonly used for the Lolita Complex, and it's more about the genre of lolicon. Like, around here, you don't hear, like, someone calling a pedophile, like, oh, you're, you're a real, real lolicon. lolicon, huh? Yeah, no, you just. Although it could be argued that people who enjoy this may or may not be pedophiles. But that's not for me to judge or even care about, honestly. So it comes from Vladimir uh, Nabokov. Nabokov? Yeah. His book, Lolita, in which a middle aged man becomes sexually obsessed with a 12 year old girl. And the term itself was first used in Japan around like the 1970s. And very quickly ended up being used to describe specifically Dojin, which, like I said before, is erotic anime. Yeah, well, Kubrick, who directed the film adaptation of Lolita, is huge in Japan. I mean, he's huge everywhere. He's Kubrick. But they were particularly smitten with him in that film. So it does not shock me that like that became such a popular turn of phrase. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Now... There are types of lolly. Mm-hmm. So there's true lolly, which is usually between the ages of 4 and 12. Oh. Teen lolly, which is 13 to 17. And then finally, my favorite one that's just like that sweet little loophole, legal lollies, who range from the age of 18 to well into the thousands. Mm. Because there is some lollycon out there where the chick is... An ancient deity. An ancient deity. It's like Sammy from... Um... Tenchi Muyo. Yes. Exactly. She, she looks like a little girl. She's super cute, but actually she's an ancient deity. She is considered a lolly. Yeah. Now, like I said, it doesn't always have to be, you know... Penetration. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be porn, but... <laughs> but, uh, I bet you can find some. Now, in my research for this, I, and I was telling Dick Fetty before we started the episode, 
I ended up down on some like real weeb fucking personally ran self-made websites that broke these three categories down even more and to the point of like, how do you identify a lolly? Is breast size important or is it height? I don't fucking care. We know lollycom when we see it. So, oh wow, you're like that judge. Yeah, come on. I mean, really? But yeah, I mean, if you're familiar at all, it, it when you get to the place where you're splitting hairs about whether it's all or not, you're sort of missing the point. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie to anyone on the podcast. I've seen lollycon hentai. I've seen some of the doujin, and it happens that some of the doujin I read ends up throwing a lollycon in there, much to my dispro- but Dismay? Dismay and surprise. Yeah, disprise. I disprise. like that. Oh, disprise you. So there are two main genres of like this specific thing. Uh-huh. I'm covering lollicon, but there's also shotokan, which is the same thing, but uh-huh. with boys. I know. Lollicon. I mean, I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. I don't have the word tattooed on my ankle right now. Lollicon seems to be more common than shotokan. Yeah. But then there's also a ton of subgenres that all of Lollicon falls into, and we're probably going to cover some of these, but I'm going to go over Touch them a little bit. So there's Fudo. Yaoi, which is male homosexuality. Yuri, female heter- homosexuality. There's incest, which obviously brother ex sister. If you've ever been to hentairules.com, you know. Omorashi, do you know what that is? Uh, no. This is one you'll like. Having a full bladder or wetting yourself. Ah, yes. Yes. Tentacle erotica, which we have already covered. Like, multiple times. So, go back, listen to those episodes. Edogoto, Mm -hmm. which we've also already covered. That's a great episode. The end-all to be-all of it is, if you like hentai, you're going to end up seeing some lolly. There's no way around it. <laughs> yeah. There's honestly zero way around it. Uh, and way more, if you like doujin, you're doomed. Because yeah. doujins do like the Tenkubun, which is the like collected series. And so you're like just furiously jacking it to a 400-page tank. And then you hit the lolly story. And it's like, what am I going to do? Skip ahead 20 pages? Or am I just going to see where it goes? I'm already almost there. Right. I've been edging for fucking two hours. And you just try to come when you get to the next chapter, which is about mind break. Yeah, and half the time, I, I read I read a lot of doujin about anime characters I like. Uh, I don't read that. Um, it's original works for me. Well, you've you bought some in Japan. Yes, uh, yes, I have. You know, Gasai is is my waifu. She will always be my personal waifu. I love her, uh-huh. and uh, I've read some doujin and some of the characters on Miranaki or Future Diaries are real young! So, it just ends up getting thrown in there. Anyway, there's also Futanari, mm. which is people who have either both types of genitalia or the opposite of their personal gender. That's what I... Gender. When I keep thinking Futo, it's Futa. But I always yeah. get them crossed in my brain. That's, so, like, that's, Bible Black, yeah. where the, the... Which nurse? Was she a nurse in that? I can't remember. She grows the dick. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's in, um... That's, like... The hentai that introduced me to... I think Sailor Moon... No, what was it? Dragon Ball... Dragon Ball Moon... Dragon... Sailor Moon... Sailor Sailor Ball... Triple X... I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I, didn't she have a dick? I I've, think at one point, yes. I think, like... I think the first hentai slash doujin I ever saw was chicks with dicks. Or, like, I'm almost... It was like, here, you like this naked lady? She's got a dick now. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's cool for me. Well, you know, it's funny, because when I... 
I, I always take a cursory Wikipedia glance when we do any of these topics. Mm -hmm. And I'm at work, I'm out back vaping, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do lolly, so let me let me see how long hentai would be. Let me see how much information is really going to be out there about the history of hentai. First of all, there's a lot. Yeah, there's scholarly, yes. several scholarly, scholarly, scholarly. I guarantee you I can go on Amazon and find a book just called The History of Hentai. Mm. But on there, as soon as I load it, it's a not even an actual hentai picture, like a amateur artist hentai picture, like, right at the top of the fucking article, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, yeah. No, I'm on my work's Wi-Fi right now. Let me hop off that shit real quick. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just thought that was funny. And the, the Lollicon one is just three girls in pajamas who are definitely not of age. <laughs> so, back to the topic at hand. Mm. There have been laws enacted in a bunch of different countries, including Japan, which regulate explicit content featuring children and childlike characters. Mm -hmm. Some countries, such as the United Kingdom, have outlawed it completely. Yeah. Which actually happened pretty recently, didn't it? Yeah, but they, they've they always been, since the Thatcher years, like, super strict about all that shit. Yeah. They, well, couldn't, they couldn't sell, like, actual proper hardcore porn magazines for, I don't know, like, a really... Like, they were... There was a lot of people selling them, but it was... You could get rated, like... Well, they're going through a porn reform right now. Yeah, I know. I read a couple about. articles about how they're trying to keep their children away from child... Or, not child pornography. From internet pornography. <clears throat> it's like, are you 18? Are you sure you're 18? I think you're going to have to give, like, a license number or yeah. something now. You have to buy the cards at the store. That's the whole thing, I guess. Let me, let me get a pack of Marlboros and a... It's and, called uh, a VPN. Let me get a nut buck. Just fucking change your IP address and you can go from... We can create our own. We call them nut bucks. <laughs> I do like that. That's pretty good, right? So, parents and citizen groups in Japan have organized to work towards stronger controls and stricter laws. What, are they going to sell me from drawing little girls? Yeah, well, so they, they're trying to get stronger laws and stricter laws enforced as far as lolicon manga and, like... Similar media, but not much has really come of it, and I'll I'll, I'll get to that. We're gonna I'm gonna get a little bit more into the history. So, I already said how it kind of refers to well, it doesn't kind of refer, it directly refers to the book Lolita. So, Shinji Wada used the word in his "Stumbling Upon a Cabbage Field," which is an Alice in Wonderland manga part uh, parody, mm. which I, I saw a few screen grabs of it. She looks pretty seductive in it, and also very young. Mm. I really didn't get to read too much into it. But the shortening of the term came, like, much later than that. And then er early Lollicon idols were Clarice from Lupin Third, Castle of Cagliostro. Mm. That's a great film. It's a phenomenal film. And the shoujo heroine, Minky Momo... So, back then, most female characters in Shonen series were largely, like, mothers or older sisters, so she was, like, one of the first, like, younger ones, so I guess that kind of had an awakening in people. So, while, yes, uh, Clarice is 16 in the loop in the third movie. She's one hot 16-year-old. She, well, she, you know, it, it was like one of the original, like, like oh my god, it's a young girl, I'm loving it, it's so lolly, I want yeah. it. Yeah, I got it. So, Patrick Galbraith, who is the author of Otaku Encyclopedia, states that 
Are, are you having fun? That uh, Minky Momo was an attempt to court Lollicon fans. So a lot of this stuff I'm going to cite has a lot to do with big fucking weeb authors for the most part. And then some of the people were actually like Japanese scholars and stuff. But okay. like, if you hear a white person name, it's probably a weeb living in Japan writing books about Japanese things. Yeah. On his angel fire site. Yeah. Oh, I saw a picture of this dude, and he... Think about what this guy looks like. It's that. He's not fat. He's one of the skinny, like, old-school, like, late 90s, early 2000 weebs. You know what I mean? So this was actually the whole fact that Minky Momo was an attempt to court Lollicon fans was denied by Chateau Tashihiko, who penned the original Minky Momo. Then Helen McCarthy, who is a British anime reference author... And literally everything I could find about her was just all, like, anime A to Z and, like, all this other shit. And she is an old white lady. Mm. Like, late 40s, early 50s, That's minimum. not that old. To be writing... I'm 31. Are you writing books about anime? Not yet, but pretty soon. All right. I'm gearing up she to could write be older than that. novel. If you look up a picture of her, you're going to be like, oh, weird. So... McCarthy suggests that the roots of Lollicon anime lie in the magical girl genre, like I had talked about earlier with like the whole shoujo manga and everything. And that really is like where like the line artistically between young girls and older women was like very much blurred. Mm-hmm. And then we hit 1980s to the 2000s. Mm, golden age. So it kind of a, officially became a genre in the 80s, like full-fleshed. Uh, there was Hideo Azuma, who did such work as The Machine Which Came From the Sea. But, in 1979, Azuma had actually published, by himself, the first blatantly lolicon manga under his own doujin magazine, Sebele? C-Y-B-E-L-E. And he became, his work became very popular among schoolboy readers, because it had porn in it. And most of the pornographic manga up to this point featured mature women, which was influenced by Gekiga, which is apparently a type of manga I've never even heard of. But, you know, there were younger boys, they wanted to see girls their own age, so it makes sense that, like, it was very popular among... Sure. ...younger gentlemen. So then, um... Other doujin magazines started featuring, you know, underage or barely prepresent virgins and erotic ways and stuff in the late 80s and then it ended up like just spreading to the mass market and was fucking everywhere so frederick l schultz and dina zank once again both weeb writers they suggest that the laws prohibiting the depiction of pubic hair may have been an encouragement to spread the idea and the medium of of uh erotic manga that had, like, a lollicon flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know why, but sure. Just because real... young women are hairless. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. That's the whole thing. That's, like, part of why in porno- Japanese hardcore and soft por- pornography, they were ahead of the curve in the sense of their women generally shaved completely when in other countries that wasn't the case. Mm, that's true. And so now it's it's a different story because it's censored either way, and there's a I think increased interest in au natural looking women. But 
as far as, you know, it's like, okay, well, we can, we're not, it's not illegal to depict underage people in a pornographic situation, and we also don't have to bother with pubic hair because they're underage, so here we go, and it's profitable. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but was all Japanese pornography always blurred out, or was it just the pubic hair stuff for the longest time? I, I would say, I mean, I've never seen anything that wasn't blurred out unless it was amateur. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we were going to watch the film The Pornographers tonight, and maybe they blurred it out, like, if that film was real and whatever, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if they blurred out Super 8 loops and stuff like that, but I can tell you that the porno I've seen from Japan from, like, the 70s onwards has always been blurred or later digital digitized yeah always searching for japanese uncensored porn on pornhub yeah so just few authors if any of you listeners are interested miki hayasaki kumi fujiwara hyoko okazaki narumi kakinochi and yoshiki takaya were like the peak of their game in the 1980s so Shote has also suggested that one reason that Lolicon manga is popular with fans is because since the female characters are portrayed as younger, they're softer, and rarely possessing an in-your-face, fe aggressive, feminist-type edge, mm -hmm. which is often found in female characters in American comics. Could be true. I don't know. But, and we covered him before, public attention was very much brought to this whole issue by our boy, the Nardog, <laughs> Sudamoto Miyazaki, the otaku killer. Yeah. And if you guys want more information about him in full, go listen to our original Asian Killers episode. Yeah, it's it's Asian serial killers. We cover the Hello Kitty murders, the otaku murders, and uh, I can't even remember that fucking awful dude I covered. So anyway... If you guys haven't listened to that episode and want a little bit more of a taste, he kidnapped and murdered four girls between the ages of four and seven in 1988 and 1989. It's brutal. Prepare yourself, but it's a good episode. So when they captured him, they found a bunch of anime, and he was a huge otaku. Anime, manga, doujin, lolicon stuff. So it kind of... Kind of like Nancy Reagan did with comic books, it it kind of spurred this whole like all of this media is bad and it's making people kill people and do awful things. Yeah, because he was a pedophile and he owned Lollycon, the connection was made that you're a pedophile if you own Lollycon and Lollycon will drive you to kill and rape. Yeah. So after this, it sparked a huge crackdown and local authorities, you know, were trying to get local retailers and publishers to stop larger companies and even arrested some of the doujinji uh, uh doujin writers even arrested some of the doujin writers and in the aftermath of this Japanese nonprofit organization Caspar C A S P A R could not find what the fuck that stood for Casper, the friendliest ghost in town. Yeah, Cap <laughs> Casper, the don't fuck your underage sister ghost. Uh, they pretty much were started to create a campaign for the regulation of Lollicon. And then 
public sentiment against it once again raised in 2005 when a convicted sex offender who was arrested for the murder of a seven-year-old girl in Nara was suspected as a lolicon. And despite what the media was speculating, it was found that the murderer, Kaoru Kobayashi, really did not care for anime, video games, dolls, or anything like that. But he said that he did become interested in small girls after watching an animated pornographic video as a high school student. And he was sentenced to death by hanging. So now we hit 2010 to our present day. Mm. So, February 2010, a proposal to amend the Tokyo law on what material could be sold to minors included a ban on sexualized depictions of non-existent youths. So, anybody under the age of 18 that didn't exist. Or did exist, I guess. You mean fictional characters? Yes. So, the proposal was obviously criticized by a lot of manga artists and opposed by the Democratic Party of Japan. The bill was put on hold until June of that year, and then it was had some changes done to it, including changing the text of non-existent youths to depicted youths. However, didn't matter about those changes, the bill was rejected by the Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly in June. So a, ro- a revised edition was presented in November of that year by the TMA, as I'm going to call them now, the Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly, which would require self-regulation of manga, anime, and other images and such that unjustly glorify or emphasize a certain sexual or pseudo-sexual act, depictions of sexual or pseudo-sexual acts that would be illegal in real life. So anything that could be considered legal, rape, incest... What they're saying is anything that you could get in trouble for doing in real life, you're not allowed to do it in cartoons. Okay, okay. But this bill, once again, no longer uses the term non-existent youth and applies to all characters and to all material not necessarily meant to be sexually stimulating. So even if it's not porn Mm -hmm. and it deals with something that could be viewed as porn by somebody... Right. They could be like, no, you don't make that. You it's don't, like having you don't a do that. picture of a naked child in a National Geographic and then saying, you can't print that, that's child pornography. Uh, same kind of thing. It would be like a blanket Well, pro- this wasn't stopping it. This was just regulating it. Okay. So that was passed in December and took full effect in July 2011. However, it doesn't... Rec- <laughs> this is the best part. It doesn't regulate mobile sites... Or downloaded content. So it really... It's Japan. Most of their stuff they're getting off the internet anyway. Well, no. I mean, there's fucking humongous Dojin bookstores. Yeah, but... You know, it's it, it, it didn't really take that much of a hit for the people trying to find it. Sure. It, it only went towards books and, and DVDs and shit like that. And then April 14th, 2011, the title Okusama wa Shoga... Kusai, my wife is an elementary student, mm. which, oh, that's quite a title. Can only imagine what happens there. I think it's about a girl fucking a, a guy fucking an elementary school girl mm-hmm. and then marrying her. A little on the nose. Or it could just be that a guy's wife is an elementary school teacher. Got turned into an elementary school person. Freaky Friday. Yeah, Freaky with Friday a dick. with a dick. <laughs> oh God! Now I've got. I just cut that out. 
Alright, well, you want to go and do it? We gotta get through this, come on. I know, I'm trying. My throat. Oh, where did I go? So, that was listed as a title to be considered for restriction due to none other than child rape. Hmm. Not cancellation, not not allowed to be sold, just... Restriction. Hey, knock it off, you. Yeah. You shouldn't be making that. We're not going to do anything to you, but don't don't be doing that. And then it was later published online by Jay Kami, and no, I did not look it up. Good. So, August 25th, 2011, Japan's Liberal Democratic Party submitted a petition requesting stricter laws on child pornography, finally, which included animated child porn. However, no action took place as a result of the petition. So... Child porn, still totally legal. May 27th, 2013, a revised child pornography law was introduced by the Liberal Democratic Party, the new Komai Party, and the Japan Restoration Party that would make possession of sexual images of individuals under 18 illegal with a fine of 1 million yen, which is about 10,437 US dollars. It's less than that. Probably. It's, it absolutely is less than that. With the exchange right now. But anyways, yeah. go on. And less than a year in jail on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, essentially what happened is they outlawed actual child porn, but never were able to outlaw Lolly because there was this huge backlash of artists against it, and they decided that technically it is against freedom of speech, so... They weren't allowed to do anything. Well, it's a difficult thing to do because you, you've you got the legal argument with regular child pornography of children are not able to consent. That's what makes them children, right? So for that reason alone, you can never have a willing, consenting participant in child pornography because children cannot uh, give consent, which eliminates the whole need to, right. to debate whether it's good or it's bad or it's harmful to kids or whatever. Like that, that doesn't matter. Like they're just not at the age of consent. So it's not okay. And with animated child pornography or like drawn child pornography, whatever, that's not an issue. And so it's a question of like, what public harm is there? And you've got this whole sliding scale of who wants to be the arbiter of, whether or not a depiction, a graphic depiction of underage sex is purely pornographic or part of a greater overall artistic thing. Like, it's always a case-by-case basis. And who wants that job to have to regulate any kind of time there's a scene of... To be fair, in It, there is a scene where all the kids have essentially a mini-orgy. Yeah. So, I mean... In the book, not the movies. Yeah, in the book. Yeah, the movies. (laughs) Maybe the one in Japan... But anyway, so, yeah, I, I could really go into, like, like there are, like, people who've done, like, studies, quote-unquote, about whether or not it does or doesn't make you more likely to molest children or anything. I don't know. I personally don't care enough. I play a ton of violent video games, and I've never killed anybody, but those aren't necessarily the same thing. Right. Because, like you would mentioned, like, once you become obsessed with a sexual idea if it becomes a paraphilia then it's an issue and if your paraphilia is lollicon it could transfer over but once again i'm not shaming anybody they're cartoons i jerk off to cartoons mine just happen to not be underage yeah i don't really have a personal view on the subject 
No, I know, and I'm not even touching on that aspect of it. I just think purely from a, how do you regulate? Yeah, no, no, no. I totally. How agree. do you regulate like, uh, not real? How do you regulate fiction? Yeah, like whether it's drawn, it's computer generated, it's anything, um, you know, because there are no real quote unquote participants. So it's difficult, it's much more difficult to regulate it because automatically it has to be produced in an artistic way. Yeah. And so you like have this immediate interaction with the producer of said content in which they can claim like there's an artistic intent behind this or this isn't pornographic in an intent. Even if it is clearly pornographic, uh, they can still make that argument more easily than somebody like who's got the, the impossible to cross hurdle of if you don't have a willing actual human being participant of age, then it doesn't matter. Like if they're not of age, they're not of age. They're not, you can, you can just say blanketly. No, not to mention, like I had mentioned, there's the, you know, the, the legal lolly aspect of it, which is just a person who looks like a child who isn't a child. So like they even blurs the line even more. And it's funny because I, I stopped by my parents' house, Oh, God, I don't know, recently. And, you know, my parents are of the age where they watch a ass load of Law and & Order and NCIS and all those shows mm-hmm. and everything. And they were watching an episode of Special Victims Unit. where And we had already decided on the... I already kind of decided I was going to do Lolly at this point. And it was... They found child porn. And then they tracked it back to the studio and found out it was... <laughs> it was actually legal age actresses who they used CGI to age them down a bit. And, like, it, you just see one of them turn it, and it's completely legal. And it's just so, I was like, yeah, I guess I gotta do Lollicon now. But there it is. There's your big episode of Uncomfortable Boners. Yeah, well, it just, there's your big episode of Uncomfortable sex stuff, I guess, for some of you. I don't know that we need to. Yeah emphasize the boner aspect of it but no i mean we do okay so yeah i i think nice job um it's interesting in the sense of japan is certainly as far as human rights go uh they lag behind in many important areas uh the way they treat criminals being one of the primary ones but i mean you also look at the level of sexual assault in japan and it's pretty frightening and yep. generally the way that they deal with uh, sexuality in their culture, the way it expresses itself is certainly similar and different in important ways than it is here in the United States. But I think, I mean, Lolly is a uniquely Japanese phenomenon in the sense of their anime being what it is and the, having the historical roots in the art and whatever and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, when we say Lollicon, if you've ever seen it or, like, have seen anime, then you basically know what we're talking about. Yeah. And, like... If you I mean, watch hentai, you know what Lollicon right. is. Right. And if you've... Like, we all know what scat is because everybody poops. Um, but, like, it's a, it is a unique thing in the sense of that this artistic... Well, not artistic, but, like... Not not artistic, but, you know, whatever. This specific thing is a uniquely Japanese phenomenon. And... Uh, there are other illustrated depictions of child sex all throughout the world, but it is it is an industry in Japan. Yeah, and I, you know, the the main reason I decided to like really go ahead and do it, um, even though I had to read a lot about child porn, is that it it really does bring up the question of like what is right and what is wrong, and where is that line 
because it's just artwork. Yeah. That, that's all it is. It's art. And well, except for yeah, like as its own. If you hold a lolly dojin in your hands, then it's like this is just this. It's just pieces of paper with well, images right. on it, but it it's also part of a larger cultural thing. Right. It, it, I just I just found the whole thing really interesting, and man, the BBC really hates Japan. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's British, and they're they're all prim and proper. Yeah, that's true. So. So. I'm sure you guys are uh, ready to go crank one out. You fucking perverts. <laughs> so after all that hubbub and hullabaloo and skit ska scoo scoo skit scoo and Rovicon, and if anything, you know what we're not anyway. Uh, later, nerds, find us on the stuff. I'm yeah, sorry, the poop on. thing. Yeah. Okay. Poop thing really took it out of me, but. Um, we'll end up doing more episodes like this in the future. We do have a lot of really exciting stuff that we're going to be putting out over the next couple weeks. Months. S- months. Years. Decades. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, find us on the gram. Find us on SoundCloud, Podcast, Overcast, Ucast, I Don't Cast. We're not on Spotify yet. You have to pay to do that, and we don't get paid to yeah, do this. Yeah, people so. keep asking me, and I'm like, give me money, and they're like, no. And then I'm like, then I'm not going to be on Spotify? Yeah. So, so you, you can see the problem. But we don't want your money. We just want your listens. Maybe. And your reviews. And your reviews. Please give us some reviews. Please. Actual, like, I, I want I want some written reviews. Yeah, you've That'd seen the nice. quality that's already on there. Yeah. Like, beat it. Yeah, beat it. Make it. Make it your swap.avi of comments and reviews. All right. Later, nerds. Later.